bong. Uh, I got my palm red the other day, and you know she, well she, she did more than just read my palm. She, she went into uh, you know tea, tea leaves, tarot cards, all this good shit, and she's you know telling me, telling me all this stuff about my future, and uh, you know some some good, some bad, and. I got up, I got up to leave and I, uh, and I sat back down and I said to her, did you know I was going to sit back down? And she looked at me like she was pretty angry that I, that I asked that because people probably, (laughs) people probably constantly do shit like that. Did you know I was going to do that? You know, just idiots like me, you know? So she, she looked at me with disdain and, uh, and I just said, I've got, I've got some information for you. I know about your future. And she, again, she was like, oh yeah, do you? And I was like, yeah, you're, you're actually going to come into some money. If you go to betwithjolt.com slash ref, that's R-E-F slash welcome to the potty. Enter promo code potty exclusive 50. That's potty exclusive five zero. You'll get 50% off your first week's subscription. And if you enter promo code potty 30 that's P-O-W-D-Y-3-0, you will get 30% off the NBA package, which is very generous. And the NBA, NBA package is the most lucrative package, that and the AFL package. Now think about that. And she she was like, she's she's frantically taking notes. And she's like, and and what is this? What is this bet with Joel? And I was like, well, sounds like you, you don't know everything, but... Uh, I'll tell you this, bet with Joel is the best in, in sports betting advice. And what he can do for you is give his expertise via email or via the app. And you and you get all of his expertise. He was a he was a professional sports better for 10 years and he's been blacklisted from all the betting uh, the bookmakers because he was making too much bread, too much of that cheese, bro. So now he's passing on his expertise to you so you can make that break you know look at me i was i was on bet with joel and i i had to i had to get off it i had to discontinue my subscription because now i have been blacklisted from all major bookmakers that's how that's the kind of cake that i was making bro you know this ain't i ain't talking about birthdays bro i'm talking about that you know the dead presidents bro you know what I'm saying? Cause that's that's how we like it, make that money. And this woman, she's she's looking at me and she and she says, you know what? I'm just gonna pour myself another cup of tea. And I was like, yeah, you might wanna you might wanna hydrate to to really let this information sink in. And she looked into her tea leaves and they sunk to the bottom of her teacup. <laughs> Cause they turned into fucking Dollar coins, baby. Yeah. Let's start the show. Bet with Joel. Welcome to the party. Welcome, baby. Welcome. Welcome to the party, bung bung. It's your man, Clay Tron, aka the big boss man, aka the clumsy jeweler, because I'm always dropping gems. Aka the milkman. Because I always deliver, a.k.a. the PhD of podcasting and the Magnum PI of podcasting. The captain, 
the, uh, you know, the door park dangalang. <laughs> I might, uh, I might not use that one ever again. But yeah, man, it's been a week. It's been a week, man. Let's let's talk gigs real quick. I did um, crank a comedy on Tuesday night, which was nice. It's a you know one of the easiest rooms in Adelaide. People that go there want to laugh at jokes. You go there and you always kill. There is one person that I've seen there on a few occasions that has bombed every time. But you know, some <laughs> so hey, sometimes hey, sometimes the game's not for you. You know. I used to play Call of Duty on the regular and I was trash at it. So now I don't play it anymore. You feel me? (laughs) Oh shit. So I went and did that. I had a pretty good set. I don't know if you guys know of the uh, YouTube collective, the Racka Racka, but they were, uh, they were at my show. Well, not my show, but at the Cranker. Uh, And there was, you know, they've got a girl in their um, group who, has all fake everything, eyelashes, lips, probably hair, titties, and them cheeks. And, uh, you know, I've seen all this before, but in Adelaide, I don't believe I've seen fake cheeks in Adelaide before. So, you know, I'm having, you know, I'm having a gander. Um, It's pretty big too. It's pretty big. It's pretty hard to like not really get, you know, somewhat mesmerized by it, but uh where, you know, I'm in there and I say, I'm just like, who, like, who is this people? Who is this? Um, and then I saw the, the guy, I think his name's Danny. Uh, he's got the bleach blonde hair and I, I kind of recognize him. I was like, I know him from somewhere. Did I go to school with him? Who is this? You know, I'm trying to figure it out. And uh, I go and I do my set and, I, and then the next morning I hit Instagram, which is, you know, it's a bad habit. You shouldn't really get on Instagram first thing, but that's what I did on Wednesday morning. And um, the Racka Racka is following uh, me on Instagram. So maybe I must have had a good set. It felt good. It felt good. And then I was supposed to go to open mic on Thursday to do some new shit. And I wrote, I wrote like a new five, but it wasn't, um, I didn't feel, I didn't, I wasn't real keen to go on stage with it. And I was so keen on doing new shit that I didn't feel like going to do old shit. So I just didn't go. Uh, And, you know, I was only an open mic. So, like, you know, they, they're not, like, expecting you to just be there. But, you know, if you're trying to be a comedian, you should get up as much as you can, and I didn't. So there's a little bit of guilt that follows me about that. Um, Golf. Been doing golf. Uh, I got my golf clubs about a week ago. Uh, and after the podcast was already recorded last week, I went went for a hit at the driving range with Lavelle, um, soon to be button presser of the Welcome to the Potty podcast, okay? So we we went to the driving range and honestly, shit, shit looks real disgusting on the first probably, you know, 15, 20 balls. We got 100 each. Well, we did 150 each. Um, so yeah, shit's looking real tender, bro. And then we, we, we started to get the hang of it. We're launching moon balls. Um, you know, we're trying to get it in the hole, the main hole, like there's a little hole there that you can do, you know, you get your iron, you try and knock that ball into the hole and, you know, you get close sometimes, but then I went again yesterday, you know, I did lots of work yesterday, 
lots of uh, lots of work. Um, and then I had a little break and I went to the driving range. And again, real close to the hole. It's like a, it's like the size of, I don't know. I've never seen it up close. I'm guessing it's probably like a meter diameter. This this hole from the driving range, and I got it on the edge. It's like a big plastic tube, and I got it on the edge, bro. It's close. So next time I'm gonna get it in, which is nice. But golf, that's gonna be my new thing. That's how I'm gonna get my steps up. You know, try and you know get a bit lean, because I'm looking. You know, I'm looking like a, like if a pair grew legs, really long legs and a really staunch upper body. <laughs> That's what I look like. I look like shit, bro. My posture is terrible. I look like the number six. You know, I'm all hunched over. I got a big belly. I look tragic, bro. But, um, that's what I've been doing, bro. Golf. Um, oh, Tuesday night. So I talked to you guys about last week about this dude, about all these tall jokes. And Tuesday night, I'm not going to name names here. But if, if these people listen to it, they know who they are. And uh, it's the, the show's set up in, in two brackets or sections. And so you, you, you see like five acts and then there's a break. You go get some drinks, you come back, and then, then the other five go up or however many, whatever. And during the break, I'm talking to a few comedians and somehow the conversation gets shifted to um, customs at airports. You know, when they're talking about like one of them, you know, two of them, one of them had a, uh, a wallet, uh, you know, those flame wallets that magicians have. And he, so he, he got his wallet taken away. He wasn't allowed to go through with that. Cause that's, you know, essentially a flamethrower. You can definitely hijack a plane with that. And the other guy, um, said that, you know, he, he got taken to the side and got pat down and all this stuff and. He just kept talking the whole time, trying to get the guy to laugh, and he finally did it. And then he he says, "Cause I I've had a, I've had many chats with him before. I, he's a good guy, and um, we yeah. So he he so he knows a bit about me, and he goes, so yeah, going back and forth to America all the time. Like you must have had a lot of like these incidences with customs. How did you find it? And honestly, I've never had a customs incidents." Corey Maynard, friend of the show, has had a uh, incident. I don't remember what happened, but he got taken into that little room, and we—I don't remember if we missed our connecting flight or or if we just made it. But we had to do the whole running through the airport shit. They kept him in this room because I think his paperwork was incorrect or something, bro. And I waited for him. I was like, I can't, you know. I just called the coach. I called coach, and I was like, Hey, Corey's locked in this room. I don't know. Like, I don't. I don't really want to leave him, and you know. But generally, customs, the only problem I've had is long, long fucking lines. I've never really been pulled aside. But so I tell them, I'm like, oh, no, nah, no, nothing really. But I mean, police, police over there. Fuck. Because you got, as you guys know, I've been beat up by a cop in Chicago. Got, got my rear end handed to me, bro. And um, they kind of just stood there waiting for me to say more because sometimes, sometimes comedians feel the urge to always be making jokes and I don't not always I um I like to just be normal sometimes and I was being normal this time and I was like I don't have anything funny to say really I said that because they I, they were clearly waiting for some sort of punchline and then this girl I'm not going to mention her name 
but she doesn't fucking know me, okay? She says something along the lines of, he's just trying to figure out whether he's black or not. (laughs) And I'm just like, what? Like, I I didn't say what. I actually just walked away because... Here's the problem. If you're if you're always trying to be funny, you're you're not. That's what I'm saying. Like the problem with always trying to be funny when you're not funny is that you say dumb shit like that. And you gotta give it a rest. It's exhausting. Those are my least favorite comedians, the ones that like they're like testing material on you or whatever. Because sometimes I think I'm in a real conversation, they'll say this thing and then they'll go up and say it on stage. And I'm like, fuck you, man. You know? Like, I don't... I have my own problems engaging with fucking people I'm not close with. And I gave you the time and then and you're just testing bits. And you're not funny most of the time. Bits aren't funny in conversation. That's why people go to, people go to open mics who think they're the funniest one of their friends and they just try to do pub banter on stage and it's, and it's trash. It's a different setting. It's a different um, context. You need real jokes, not just shit talk. Shit talk is for podcasts like this. And I'm like, man, this, this it's just like one of my major gripes with the whole the whole scene is, you know, it's not everyone. It's not everyone. I like I like the majority of the the good comics. Okay, but. It is just, it is just painful, bro, when people do this. And like, we're, like, look, yeah. If you, if you want to make a black joke to me, it just better be funny. I don't give a fuck. You can make as many black jokes as you like, as long as they're funny. Okay. Just like if I. If I go and start making fun of Asians or trans or gay or um, short people or fat people or rich people or poor people, it's just got to be funny. It's got to be funny because otherwise it's just offensive, you know? And that's it goes the same thing with the crowd. If you want to get, if you want to laugh along all fucking night long when it, when someone's teasing all these races and genders and cultures and all this shit and then it comes to you and you're a fatty and he does a fat joke and you're upset well no one's got sympathy for you because you laughed along at all the black jokes all the asian jokes you know all the hairy people jokes you know just because it comes to you you're offended and you want to start writing emails suck a dick bro fuck out of my face with that shit and that's what i'm saying as if it was funny, it's okay. If it wasn't funny and it's just offensive or or not funny, I don't want to hear it. So if you want to come to me with a black joke, go ahead. But I reserve to write. I reserve the right to just fucking. I'm not going to punch anybody because I don't really want to do time. But you know, I walked away. I walked away on Tuesday because and I I was shitty about it. I wasn't. And no, I don't think that this girl's a racist. She's clearly not. She's a nice person. And she means well. 
that's the thing. She means well, but it's just like, one, you don't know me like that, and two, be funnier, you know? It was a wild thing to say, and no one laughed either. It wasn't just me. It was like, why would you say that, you know? It was just like a... Like... <laughs> Like it, it was like if she said if she told a story, and then afterwards I was just like, <laughs> "Women be sharpened," you know. Like it's just like, what are you doing? <laughs> it's wild. Um, did I do anything else this week? Oh, let me tell you this. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if this is just spam that everyone gets in Instagram because I don't really have Instagram conversations with people. You know what I'm saying? But. My inbox, probably every day, like daily, I'm talking daily, I get at least three messages in my inbox. And you go, I know what you guys are thinking. Oh, yeah, I get it too. It's like, you know, sexy Russian spy robots. No. No, I used to get those and some for some reason they've dried up. But now I get three messages a day from people claiming to be social media managers or SEO experts um, and they've got less followers than me. They're like, I love your page. I love the look. It looks so good. I love the content, but you're not, you don't have enough followers or engagement. I'm a social media expert and I will get your engagement to this by this time. If you pay me this much, I'm like, Hey, listen, you have 200 followers and probably even less friends. Don't come back to me with this. You know, do I write that? No, no, I don't need to offend those people for no reason but it's just infuriating why would you claim to why would you try and stitch me up when you've only got like if you've got 40,000 or 400,000 or 1 million followers I'll be like oh shit you know what you're doing you got 200 followers bro dude I can just about go outside and you know start playing a fucking flute and and be the Pied Piper and get 200 people to follow me, bro. Literally follow me outdoors. And you can't even get, you can't even get, you know, a thousand followers on you. Nah. Nah, I'm not going to trust you with that, bro. The fuck are you talking about? (laughs) It's a wild for the night, bro. But yeah, I've been getting that a lot this week. Um, Now I got, I wanted to break this down. I wanted to break this down today because last Friday we had people over at our house and it was, um, you know, it wasn't heaps of people. It was just like a, a probably, uh, let's, let's count one, two, you know, two adults, then two babies. The babies don't really count, but let's count them. Two adults and two babies plus two adults and one baby. That's four adults and three babies. So that's seven. Plus one person plus two people. That's nine. Plus me and Rach. That's 11. So our house had 11 people in it. Our um, <clears throat> our, our damn living room was full of people, okay? And not people that I'm, you know, especially close to. And... You know, I've met them. I don't have any problems with them. They're they're very kind, very nice people, right? But I'm just, 
I'm not I'm not 100% comfortable around them, you know? So I'm like I'm a bit quiet. I try I tried hard at the start of the the start of the interaction and um it kind of it gets exhausting to a to a level that some people will nev- never understand because it's social anxiety, okay? And I talked about I talked about this on the Wormholes podcast the other night. Uh, I don't know if that episode's out yet, but keep an eye out. I'm on the Wormholes podcast uh, coming soon. And uh, they asked me what if I could uh, have a superpower, what it would be. And I said invisibility. And they said why? And I said because like more often than not, I would just prefer not to be seen and or not to even fucking be there. And then I sort of went into the social anxiety thing and they were like, that's interesting because we've had people on this show before that have said invisibility, but for the entirely different reason of being there, but, you know, being nosy and getting getting information and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, yeah, yeah, not me. And I, it's important. it's important to me to go into this today because on this Friday night with with these people around I, I, I kinda shut down a bit and Rach got mad at me once everyone had left she not mad but just like sort of upset and why do you hate my friends and stuff like this and I'm trying to say like I don't I don't hate your friend like so social anxiety is something Sorry, that is one of my pet peeves. If you if you say something, dude, and especially dude, and espresso, dude, this is things that I hear every day. I've got people, people in my life that do this. Um, anyway, um, so social anxiety, man, is it's something that I deal with daily. Okay, I'm not diagnosed, but I know what social anxiety is, and I know that I have it. Um. I've discussed it on the show before, but I want to break it down because if you don't have it or you've never experienced it, it's likely that you don't understand it. And this is something that um, Rachel is the exact opposite of me. And she she's very bubbly and friendly and can talk to anyone and sociable and just, you know, I'm very envious of it. Um... But when you're with someone like that and you're like me, social anxiety can come off as rude or disinterested or uninterested or I'm trying to think um, like, like, like you're sulking in the corner or something. And yeah, so it, it, it can be, can be a bit of a thing in our relationship because she compares, you know, she compares how I am in, with, with my parents with how I am with her parents and how I am with my friends with how I am with her friends. I'm like, or how I am with her compared to how I am with other people. And it's like, well, one, the reason I'm with you is because you make me feel comfortable and free to express myself and be myself and be all of myself. That's why I want to be with you. That's why I want to be with you forever, you know? 
I don't care to try and develop this with someone else. It's it's difficult for me, you know. And it's not <laughs> it's not like it's not I'm not I'm not in love with her because I'm too nervous to try and figure it out with someone else is because obviously I do love her, but this is I like yeah, I don't like that's part of it. The the is the she is someone that makes me feel comfortable and I want to be around someone like that. And comparing that to other people isn't fair because I don't want to love those people or whatever. And comparing my relationship with my parents to your parents, you know, that's that's different too. I've known my parents for 30 years, almost 31 years, not four years. And friends as well. Although I might have known some of these people for four years, I might have met them four or five times. My friends I've been friends with for decades. Uh, housemate Dan is a good example. Um, before before Scott's bachelor party or Bucks show in Byron Bay, Denny was an acquaintance, if that. Um, we would constantly see each other at parties birthdays, um, only house parties of Scots, I think. I don't think like we'd ever gone out together or anything like that. Um, and that's, that's fine. You know, I didn't, I didn't have any hate or ill thoughts towards him or nothing like that. But at these parties, it's a lot of people that I don't know. And I would like, I would like stick to my friends, like the ones that I knew. So like Scott and Steve, I'll talk to them pretty much exclusively, you know, or like Luda would be their friend of the show. Um, and then, you know, we went on this box show and we're away for like six days or something together. And you, you develop a bit more of a understanding of each other and comfort. And then boom, we're fucking housemates, you know, and now I'm comfortable with Dan and I, I feel like I can be myself you know, probably to even a lesser extent than with Rachel, but very much myself with Dan. I lived with the guy for two years. But he would probably tell you that when, you know, for the first few years of knowing who I was, he probably thought that I was rude or that I thought I was better than him or, you know, that I was a weirdo or something. You know, so that's that's what it is. It's It, it takes time to develop these takes time and it takes like close time like not just okay i've met that person two years ago therefore i've known them for two years boom like that's two years of experience that's not how it works you feel me so that's that's one thing but i've got this moment that haunts me just regularly i think about it regularly and it's i i opened for a comedian sean conway at Fringe 2020. And um, he, yeah, no, nothing to do with him. But uh, so I I was, he had like a late show. So I was getting ready to go into his show to, to open for him. And like the the venue he was at had three three rooms in it, three comedy rooms. And we've got to wait for these shows to end. So 
as they end, everyone goes into the same common area and it's busy. And I'm just trying to mind my own business. And some woman comes up to me and she starts talking to me. And I'm trying to engage. I'm also in the zone. I'm trying to like I'm trying to go over my notes and stuff as well. But I also don't know who she is. And I don't have the comfort to maintain this conversation. I kind of like shut it down. And she clearly recognized the behavior. And I don't know if she thought she was helping or if she wanted to be a cunt. But she says, I don't care if you've got social anxiety or not. You need to talk to people. You never know who you could be speaking to. And I like, you know, it felt like she was saying that she was somebody or whatever. And I still don't know who she is. I still don't know who she is. So couldn't have been that big a deal. I don't know. But, you know, I... I got to a point where I was literally debilitated and I couldn't think, I couldn't I couldn't do or say anything and I stood there. And she says this thing to me pretty aggressively and maybe she thought that was good advice but it's it's over 12 months later, it's probably 13 or 14 months later and I still feel guilty and shameful about that exchange. And that that adds pressure to to all of my social interactions with with strangers or people that I'm not 100% comfortable with because I remember that and I put extra pressure on myself. And I've got this internal dialogue, don't be weird, don't be a fucking weirdo. You got to say something, you got to say something. Be interesting. You know? And you know, and this is this is what happened on Friday night was I'm I'm sitting on the couch trying to engage with with all these people, Rachel's, Rachel's friends, friends and family. And I, I just shut down. Okay. And, and, you know, she's got a problem with it. I feel like a weirdo. So I get super defensive, super defensive about it, which is not productive either. And she's so out, you know, so out, going and she loves me and who I am right and so she's like why wouldn't you put that on display and it's like I get it I get why it frustrates her if I'm not shining in front of her friends or family but the comparisons and all this it's not it's not a fair comparison because it takes yeah like I said before it takes me that much time to become comfortable um But I guess she doesn't understand the, the level to which your brain can become shut down when you're experiencing this type of anxiety, right? And so, like, social anxiety is, it's, it's a feeling of discomfort, um, extreme self-consciousness, um, while, you know, while you're around others. Uh, especially strangers. You know, if I was at a party of 40 friends and they're all my friends, I'm not going to feel like that. But if I'm party with 40 friends and 10 of them are strangers, if I get stuck with those 10 strangers, I might I might just look like an absolute fool, you know? And it's just, it's a fear of being judged. It's It's a fear of what you believe, you internally believe other people may be thinking about you. 
It's it's an elevated heartbeat. It's it's sweaty, just sweat, sweaty palms, sweaty armpits. It's a raising temperature. Um, you know, sometimes, dude, sometimes your fucking vision goes blurry. It's, it's like fight or flight mode, man. Social anxiety is the headlights that a deer stares into. Okay? You understand that? Deer in the headlights. It completely takes over and it inhibits your ability to do or say what you want. And I'm talking you are stuck. You're stuck, which makes it difficult to form healthy relationships, okay? And I have throughout my adulthood used alcohol as a social lubricant and many people do this but it's not healthy the reason people do it is because as everyone knows alcohol lowers your inhibitions it makes you give a fuck less of what people think about you and it you know it makes it easier to carry conversations it gives you less fear of consequences which is you know Obviously, there's a certain amount of beer, beers that you can have that can make that a very dangerous thing. But, you know, and then you, yeah, yeah, you get to that point, you end up, your Sunday is worse anxiety than you would have had if you were sober trying to talk to these people, but that's another story. Um, it's not a safe strategy, the old alcohol, but I don't know. Therapy, probably, I that's not, I mean, that's not something that I've done. It's not some advice, it's some advice that I probably should take for myself. But I think going into these situations with like a game plan, reading the newspaper, watching the news, checking out the latest viral videos online, just reading, just reading in general books. I have in the past had a list of talking points in my pocket in case I really get fucking stuck. Um, but, you know, I've also just been shaming myself this whole time, telling myself that um, I need to do better, telling myself I'm not good enough, telling myself I'm a weirdo, telling myself I'm letting other people down, whether it's my parents, if it's like, a, you know, one of their things, whether it's Rachel or her friends things, whether it's, you know, someone invites me to the footy, you know, at work, I do it. I fucking shut down in the office. I don't do it with clients. It's, but in the office, like people try to talk to me, I'm like, <clears throat> hi, oh, you know, it's just fucking. And the more it happens, the, the more it makes the next time more difficult. And people think that exposure to this, it just like, you know, oh, it's just practice. You get better and better. No, you add pressure, you add pressure, you add pressure. It gets harder and harder and harder. Stand-up comedy in the podcast. Oh, but Clay, you're so confident. You, you know, you do stand. It's not a social situation. It's not a social interaction. Right now, I'm in a room by myself speaking to nobody. This isn't even live, you know, people, you know, hundreds of people will hear this, 
not see it because no one fucking subscribes to the YouTube channel, but so subscribe, welcome potty on YouTube, but no, the potty, the potty on YouTube, but yeah, this isn't, this isn't a to and fro, this is me, just verbal diarrhea, same with um, stand-up, stand-up, stand-up's way easier to me than fucking speaking to someone I don't know, hecklers, oh, how do you go with hecklers, it's difficult, honestly, because I don't know, like, it, because that that is that turns into a discussion with somebody else. You know, I'm the one with the power. I've got the mic, so it's a little bit easier than than you know being at a wedding speaking to strangers. But yeah, yeah, it's difficult, man. But these are monologues I'm talking about, the podcast and stand up comedy. It's, it's so much easier. So much easier, man. Not even, you know, I'm on this right here. I'm not even looking at a face. You know, I've got St. Jeff of Goldblum on the wall behind it. But, you know, comedy, all I can see is the lights. I can't even really see the faces. It's just me. It just is just me, you know. So don't try and fucking tell me shit's sweet. And, you know, how do you get this way? <clears throat> I guess it's probably different for everyone. I've not seen a therapist. I haven't broken it down. I would assume... You know, it starts with probably having strict parents, being scared to get in trouble. I said strict. I didn't say abusive. These people were the best parents I could have asked for, okay? So, but they were strict. And so you you watch yourself. You don't want to be, you don't want to get in trouble. Always felt like I had to be in my best behavior. And in my mind, sometimes that meant just shutting the fuck up. I was always nervous to fuck up. I was nervous, nervous. Nervous was how I would have put it when I was that age because I didn't know the word anxious. Um, things like girls, like I would get, they would tease me if I, if like a girl called the house or if they saw me talking to a girl at school. And it was playful and whatever, but it was, it was still teasing and I would then hide that. I then hide my engagement with females, which probably, you know, that probably led to me being such a fuckboy in my 20s. Didn't want to get too close to anybody because I might get teased about it, you know? Oh, you love her? No? That's why, I'm, you know, I'm just going to cheat on it, you know? I don't know. I don't fucking know, dude. I would... Dude, I would go to school. I would go back to school. Like, if a girl called me, I would go back to school the next day and be like, hey, don't call me anymore. You know, probably, yeah, that's 100% probably what led to my commitment issues if we're really breaking it down. <laughs> like, you know, and, you know, you know, obviously I, I've been in one profession where I get clapped at and now I'm doing comedy. So I obviously need to feed my ego pretty regularly. So that's probably, yeah. Yeah, let's let's get off that, off of the old uh, commitment and women stuff because that's starting to really open up a new can of worms. But um, I guess, you know, being bullied for being black my whole life has something. That's, being bullied for that is people telling you you're not good enough based on something that you can never change about yourself. And that sucks, man. Um, and I've told you guys, I, I think I've told you this story before and it could probably maybe be a joke on stage one day. It's, it, 
I don't think I've dealt with it enough to make it funny. It's still a bit sad, but um, like I've I bleached my hair blonde when I was about eleven or twelve, maybe ten, because I wanted to be more like everyone else. Um, I grew my hair out and then fucking permed it, dude. I permed my fucking hair because I wanted I wanted to have straight hair. And it didn't make my hair straight. It loosened the curls a bit and made my hair go down instead of growing into an afro because I wanted to be more like everyone else, man. I've asked girls out that have straight up said yuck to me. Uh, Yuck is a weird one when you ask someone out because that kind of feels like there's something about you that's gross and when you've been bullied for being black your whole life, that that's what you kind of put it down to. And I did have one girl actually tell me that my skin looked like poo. So, so that's, you know, that'd be some of it. Um, you know, football field, basketball court, classroom. Um, I get called nigger all the time. I got called a bumblebee because my school uniform was yellow and I was black, so, you know, yellow and black, you know. They didn't call me a fucking Pittsburgh Steeler or Boston Bruin. They called me a bumblebee. Um, one day I was crying because uh, I got called a nigger, and I think it was in football, and I was at my friend's house crying about it. And we were in his bedroom, and his mum comes in, and it's, oh, what's what's wrong? What's wrong? And she's trying to be a good mom. She's trying to. She's just being motherly, and she was, she is, a beautiful lady. And she just made a mistake here, right? And my friend says, "Oh, Clay, Clay's upset because you know, uh, he he was he got bullied for being black or whatever." And his his mom says, "Oh, you're not black," which is not the correct argument. Like the person made a mistake. You know, the person made a mistake about my skin colour, so it would have been okay for him to say that if I was black. And by the way, I am black. Uh, And that, you know, that, this is just another, another memory that fucking... sits with me every day. Um, You know, this was an adult. This was an adult trying to console me and she made that mistake that, you know, can make you justify what these people, what these people say to you. Because, you know, adults are authority figures when you're younger and it just, yeah, that that led me to kind of believe that she, you know, she she thought that if if people if 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 I was black, maybe maybe the the whatever the people had said would have been right. I don't know. My my social anxiety in high school got so bad. Um that I used to, 
I used to scratch, I used to scratch, dude, like a dog. Like I had eczema or some shit. And I used to scratch like my arms or my legs um, so much. And I wouldn't realize I was doing it until I had blood like running down my leg or running down my arm and under my fingernails and shit. Um, and I guess leaving high school stopped the day-to-day bullying. But I still get shit. I've told you guys. <clears throat> when I go out and some short guy wants to feel like a man, he'll he'll call me a nigga to try and start a fight. Or I'll get pulled over. I get pulled over. No bullshit. I get pulled over probably once a month, maybe more. That's not a lie. Uh, people move to the other side to avoid walking by me. Security follows me through stores. Um, people that look like me routinely get murdered by the people who are paid to protect me. So my self-worth for as long as I can remember has been almost zero based on all of that. You know, I went to I went to college and I, you know, I went from being too black for Adelaide to being not black enough for America. Uh, I still resent a number of the people I met in America for that, for not accepting me as teammates as well, especially. Um, and making that more difficult. Look, look, you're talking about someone with social anxiety moving to another country where he knows nobody and has no support network. And then I just like, and then I'm too much of a fucking weirdo to make friends with my own teammates, you know? Um, you know, and you think, you think you, you, you play a sport and the team environment is going to be a second family, but you know, you get consistently yelled at by your coaches telling you to do better or be better. You place self-worth on your performance. You could, you directly link your worth as a person to your performance as an athlete. You have a bad game and you're walking, you're walking out of the locker room and fans want to fucking tell you that you could have done better. They remember a play and you're, oh, you should have, you should have kicked it to the corner, you know? And kick in basketball just means pass, but, you know, Pete, you know. So that makes you, that kind of makes you want to shut down to strangers as well. You, you go to watch film the next day and you watch, you watch your bullshit performance while your coach berates you. And then you find, you, you do that for a decade. And then you you finally retire, and then your whole identity is as an athlete is gone, and you you're, you just feel completely fucking worthless. Um, and then you know you're tall, and people expect you to be playing basketball. So every time you meet someone new, they ask you if you play basketball, and you've got to say no. And then they ask you what you do, and you've got to tell them about whatever the fuck you do now that you don't care about and you don't want to be identified as. Um, and, you know, then, you, you know, you go to that thing again 
where you're like, oh, I'm, I'm going to go to this thing and I know it's going to be new people, so I'm just going to get completely fucking blind. Um, <clears throat> then, you know, I went and I, I always loved comedy, so I thought I would use comedy as my thing. You know, I kind of always did it in front of my friends. <clears throat> I was always funny with my friends and that's how I used to cope with all the this bullshit that I've just been talking about. And then I look at my retirement as an opportunity to to follow this passion. And now my self-worth is again directly linked to my performance and I I should know better by now. But, you know, I'm still getting I'm still getting better at it. I'm working on it. But it's not easy. And because I will, I will feel like I'm the best in the world. I'll feel on top of the world when I've murder a gig. I'll feel like a worthless scumbag if I have a bad gig. And if I have a good gig, I'll welcome people to come up and talk to me. And if I have a bad gig, I will try to disappear. So yeah, that's probably for now, probably as many contributing factors as I can think of. Um, and that's not that's not me pointing fingers as, uh, at others to blame for the, this thing, but it's just a thing to, to understand, to help people who may be experiencing this and not know that they're experiencing it or people who don't understand it who are getting mad at people who m- might be experiencing this. It's, it's supposed to be... This is, I just want people to know, man. I want people to understand what... I go through and what many people go through, man. I know it's not, you know, it's not even the worst mental health thing to be experiencing. It's not, it's not fucking depression. It's not bipolar. It's not schizophrenia, but it fuck, it's still debilitating in social settings. It's hard to deal with and it's hard for my partner to deal with. When I was younger, it was hard for my parents to deal with. It has been hard for my friends to deal with. You all right? You all right? What's going on, man? You're not yourself. It's like, fuck. I fucking am myself. That's the problem, you know? Oh, man. It's just like, the, it's just a bunch of things, a bunch of things in my life, I guess, have made me self-conscious and make me continue to be. Uh, yeah. I'm not alone, man. I'm not asking for fucking sympathy. I'm asking for understanding. I think that if you can see someone like me going through this shit, they're probably not intentionally being rude. They don't think that they're better than anyone. They're probably sitting there scared. They're probably sitting there overthinking everything. They're probably sitting there getting mad at themselves for not being able to fucking work it out, for not being able to just talk. They could have any fucking, they could have anything going on. It doesn't even have to be a social anxiety. It could be de- depression. It could be anything. It could be anything. So don't apply pressure, man. Don't tell them to do better. Don't call them rude. Don't tell them you never know who you could be talking to. Don't tell them that they're making everybody uncomfortable because it's not helpful. It it actually hinders their progress. 
be distracting. Go over and look at this art. What's what's what do you think about this picture on the wall? Oh, did you see so-and-so came out of the toilet with fucking toilet paper on their foot? Say something funny, make a joke. You know? Just just be understanding. That's that's all I'm saying, man. That's all I'm saying. It's not fucking it's not rocket science. <clears throat> I know I'm working on it. I'm trying to be better at it. And everyone is. No one wants to be like that. But I just... I felt Rachel's frustration last week. I talked to a friend about it and he was like, are you kidding me? I fucking feel the exact same way. And my partner sounds like she's saying the exact same thing as Rach. And she doesn't get it. And I felt like I wanted to break it down a little bit further for people to understand that it's not a choice. It's a fucking difficult situation to be in. It's not easy, man. I'm not, you know, I'm not fucking, not a hero or anything trying to fucking pat myself on the back for being a weird cunt in social situations. I don't want to be that way, but I'm just, I want people to understand that it's not a decision that gets made. It's not, oh, I'm in a bad mood because I'm not with my friends and I'm with your friends. It's just difficult, man, and it takes longer. Maybe I don't, you know, maybe I don't need to meet all of your friends at once. Maybe we go to dinners, intimate dinners, and I get to know them one by one. You know, that's less daunting. Okay? Things like that, man. And I'm sorry this episode wasn't funny, but I just, I don't do, you know, these episodes that much. And I just felt this week after going through what I went through and what, you know, it wasn't a huge fight or anything, but she just was disappointed in me and she thought that I I was in a shit mood because I didn't want people at her house and that just wasn't the case. Um, so I felt after going through that and then speaking to my friend about it and then him being in the exact same boat. And here's the thing, we're like best fucking friends and we don't know this about each other because we're men and we don't talk about that shit. And that's bullshit. So I that's why I wanted to do this, okay? And also, women have social anxiety too. Don't get it twisted. I'm just saying this is my situation. I'm talking to another male friend of mine. And he's like, what the fuck? That's me. And I'm like, Jesus. Let's fucking put this shit out there. That's all I'm saying, man. Uh, yeah. Sorry if you came here to fucking escape your problems and you just took mine on. <laughs> that's, you know, that's my bad, but I just want, I wanted to, I really wanted to get that out there today. So um, that's it. I, I just talked about myself for an hour, um, but, you know, I'll bring back the fucking funny shit next week. All right. I love you guys. Don't forget to love yourselves. And as always, bum bum. Baby, welcome to Baby, welcome to